0: Friends, if you have your Bibles, um, please turn with me to Genesis 22, uh, verses 1 through 19. And while you guys are turning there, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, uh, my name is Junhee, and I am one of the pastoral interns here at Cornerstone. Um, If you're visiting with us this morning, we're continuing in our series called 515, Genesis to Deuteronomy, where we're looking at five lessons in each of the first five books of the Bible. We're currently in our fourth lesson in the series, titled, A Lesson in Abraham's Test. Last week, we looked at the story of Lot in the land of Sodom, but today the story returns back to Abraham. So if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read and receive God's word as an act of worship. Genesis 22, beginning with the first verse. Hear now God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. The grass withers and the flower fell. falls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your gospel preached today. We are thankful that we have your word, your infallible word, that is, enough and that is enough for salvation. Lord, that in it you tell us about yourself, and in it you, you, you expose who you are and how we can achieve our salvation, Lord. And so we thank you this morning that we are able to spend some time in your word. And so we pray, would you be with your fallible servant as, as I deliver your word? Would you let these words not be my own, but Lord, may they be your words. And Father, open the hearts of your, of your people here today. Open the ears of your people that they may hear your word. And so, Father, would you be glorified and would you be honored? Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage today brings us to what I think is a great climactic point a dramatic bookend in the life of Abraham. It's also probably one of the most well-known narratives in the Bible. Often it's used as an example of Abraham's exemplary faith. It's actually the last story that we read about Abraham in Genesis before his death a few chapters later. So this is the last event of Abraham's life. If you've been with us or are familiar with the story of the book of Genesis, we've seen Abraham go through many different things. We've seen him go through many different experiences and trials. He's gone through leaving his family and his homeland. He's gone through famine and he's gone through childlessness. But throughout all these things, the Lord has been faithful to him. God provided Abraham with a land to dwell in. He's, He's given favor in the eyes of the people around him. And finally, he provided Abraham and Sarah with a child. Remember, a few chapters back, Abraham laughs to himself saying, how can a man who is 100 years old have a child? How can a woman who is 90 years old bear a child? To Abraham, God's promise of a child was highly improbable at best. Sarah had been barren since they had gotten married. And now at the ripe age of 100, they, they were far too old to have a child, but still he waited, and he waited in eager anticipation. And finally, we read in Genesis 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. At long last, the, the promised child had been born. God had finally fulfilled what he had promised to Abraham. Finally, this promise that he made all those many years ago, the promise that God would make of him a great nation would be fulfilled. And yet when all seemed well, when life seemed to be going perfectly for Abraham and Sarah, and it seemed to be going according to their own desires, what we read next, what we read in our passage today, catches us completely off guard. And so this morning, I want to walk us through the story of Abraham's test and unpack what it tells us about our God and what that means for us. Our lesson today is this, we will face great tests and trials, but we can have faith that our God will see us and he will provide. Even before we get into the narrative, the first thing that the author immediately tells us about in verse one is that God tested Abraham. I mean, talk about a major spoiler. But I think that this aspect of the story is key to understanding the narrative in front of us. This was going to be the ultimate test of Abraham's life, but he wouldn't know about it. This command from God is to be a test of his obedience and his faithfulness to the God of the promise and not the promises of God. And so God calls out to Abraham in verse 2 and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. You see, if we compare this call to his original call in, in, in Genesis 12, this call is vastly different from his original call. Remember, remember in Genesis 12 where God first calls him to go to a new land. That call was to leave everything. It was to leave his former security, his past, with his eyes set on the future. And so he faithfully obeyed. The go command in Genesis 12 was to offer up his country, his kindred, his father's house. But now God was requiring him and requiring Abraham to go and offer up his future by offering up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And sacrificing Isaac would seemingly put an end to the very covenant that God had made with him. It would put him straight back to square one. The promise that his offspring would be greater than the skies in the and the stars in the sky would be no more. And not only that, but it was his precious, beloved son, his only son, Isaac. Can you picture the anguish that Abraham must have felt as he listened to God's instructions? Here is the child that Abraham has waited his whole life for. The child that God had promised and had faithfully delivered to him. The child that Abraham and Sarah loved with all of their hearts. The child that probably caused them many sleepless nights, fighting over who was going to wake up and change his diaper. The child that Abraham probably played catch with, or at least whatever the ancient equivalent to that was. The child that brought much laughter and much rejoicing to the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Here was this child, the great child of promise. Any fathers in the room will probably understand the deep affection that Abraham had for his son. And now God was saying, God was commanding, I want you to sacrifice him. What would you do if you were in Abraham's shoes? Perhaps you would be angry with God. Perhaps you would refuse and say, God, anything but my only son, take, my, take me instead. I'm sure you can see the gravity of the situation and how devastating this would have been for Abraham. But what's interesting and what's surprising about this narrative is Abraham's reaction to God's call. His response is that of total obedience. Verse three says this, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You see, the Bible doesn't specify here why Abraham wakes up early in the morning. It might display Abraham's great eagerness and I think it does to respond to God's call, his eagerness to respond to faithfully to what God has told him to do. But I suspect there's a little bit more than that as well. If you really think about it, he probably couldn't have slept that much that night anyways. For me, I know the night before a big day, it's nearly impossible to get sleep. Have you felt that way before? Maybe it's the night before a big job interview. Maybe it's the night before a big first date. Maybe it's the night before your first time preaching at church. <laughs> that, for sure, I felt that. And maybe it's the night before you're going back to hear from the doctor telling you what the diagnosis will be. Can you imagine now what's going through Abraham's mind throughout the night? The possible questions about what God has just commanded him to do. God, how could you ask for my only son? I thought you promised. Don't you think this is a little too much? So yes, Abraham rises early to obey the Lord's command faithfully but also probably because he was tossing and turning all night, wrestling within his heart. He then personally chops the wood for the burnt offering and prepares the very wood that he's going to use to sacrifice his son. Again, think of the agony that's going through his heart as he makes the preparations to go and sacrifice his beloved son. See, Abraham was, was a wealthy man. He, we, read, we read that he was a man of good wealth. So he could have told any of his servants to go and chop the wood and bring it back to me and, and get the donkeys ready, prepare my trip. But he himself personally goes and chops the wood that he's going to offer, sacri- offer Isaac on. So imagine the agony and imagine the anguish that is in his heart as he makes the preparations to go and sacrifice his only beloved son, Isaac. And yet... He doesn't say a word against God. He silently arises and goes forth in faithful obedience to the Lord. So they start off towards the mountain. And verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. You see, God didn't call Abraham to just go across the street. He didn't call him to just simply go across town to do this. He called him to a place that was three days away. Not just a few minutes, not even a few hours, but a few, but a three-day journey. Three days to contemplate, to wonder about, and to internally wrestle with what he was about to do. Three agonizing days as he's walking his own very son to his death. For three days, he has every opportunity to turn around, to go back home. And yet, even still, Abraham's faith persists. We see Abraham's deep trust in the Lord, that it was God, not himself, who held the fate of Isaac in his hands. And so they reached the foot of the mountain and Abraham says to his servants in verse five, stay, we will go over there and worship and come again to you. Look again, what Abraham says is very interesting. We will come again. We will return. He knows very well what God has just commanded him to do. And if he's going to finish the deed, Isaac would most definitely not be returning with him. And still he says that we will return. He doesn't say that that we're going to go up to the mountain and I'll return. I'll come back. Was this just a lie that he told the servants to keep them in the dark about what he was about to do? Was he simply just trying to hide his intentions from Isaac? No. No. Instead, we see here again Abraham's great faith on display during this great test of his life. Abraham is able to faithfully obey God's call to go because, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, Abraham by faith considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham, not by sight, not by his own knowledge or understanding, but by faith, trusted that God would resurrect his son in some miraculous way. Of course, it didn't make sense that Isaac, the child of promise, would have to die. But God had promised that he would establish a great nation through through him, through his son, Isaac. And so Abraham trusted that God would do that, even if the means didn't make any sense to him. But then Isaac asks him a haunting question. He says, where's the lamb? Dad, we have all the wood and the fire, but I think you forgot the lamb at home. And how do you think Abraham must have felt when Isaac asked him this question? What does he say? What should he say in response to that? What do you say to your son in response to this kind of question? And so it's, it's possibly Abraham's last chance to turn back around and go back home. He could have said, son, I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot the lamb at home. Let's go back. But again, in the midst of the hardest trial and the hardest test of his life, Abraham faithfully says to Isaac, Son, don't worry about it. God Himself will provide. I think it's important that we pause here to, to really think about Abraham's faith that we've been talking about. You see, the thing is, despite his faithful obedience, despite his remarkable obedience, Abraham doesn't really know for certain. Yes, he has faith, but he doesn't really know. And how could he? If he knew what the outcome of this would be, he would, it would be a walk in the park for him. He probably would have run up the mountain to, sacrifice, to make the sacrifice. But really, he doesn't know. He trusts God, yes. He believes, yes. He has faith, yes. But don't view this faith in just a superficial way. You see, we so often assume that for Abraham, this great father of faith, being faithful came easy to him. But again, think about what Abraham has just gone through on, on a human level. The emotional roller coaster that he's experienced on this journey, that he's still probably experiencing right now. The faith that Abraham is, has during this trial and during this test is not something shallow, it's not something robotic. You see friends, sometimes the faith by which we stand during our tests and our trials is one that is made with clenched teeth and clenched fists. Sometimes our own faith in the great tests and trials of our lives hangs by a single thread. When you're standing at the edge of the cliff, desperately clinging on for dear life, and there seems to be no answer in sight, I think it's safe to assume that this is what Abraham is going through at this very moment. And still, he trusted that God would provide. And what's interesting is that this word in the original Hebrew, this word that God would provide, also means that God will see. And so Abraham not only trusted that God would provide, but he also trusted that God would see him. That God would see him in his trial and that God would see him in this test. And so as the two of them, father and son, climb up that mountain, he isn't saying, I can do it. I must do it. I will do it. I'll just obey. This is not what's driving him. He He isn't being driven by his own obedience, by his own abilities. Instead, his response is, God will do it. God will provide and God will see to it. Friends, do you trust that the God of Abraham sees you in your trials? That even when you don't see him, his eyes are on you. He sees you. And so they come to the place where the offering is to be made. They build an altar and Abraham lays the wood down on it. And with tears streaming down his eyes, he ties up and bounds Isaac to the wood and lays him on the altar and he grabs hold of the knife, stretches out his hand over his beloved son. And as he lifts the knife over Isaac and is about to come down with it into the flesh of his own son, at the very last possible second, an angel calls from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on that boy. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I mean, talk about waiting until the last moment. If there was a world record, Guinness world record for how fast someone could drop a knife, that was probably it. Right as the clock hits zero, right at the very last moment, as the blade is about to penetrate into flesh, God dramatically intervenes. And Abraham passes the most severe test of his life. He does what God required him to do. He obeys God's command right down to the last second. If God had not intervened without a shadow of doubt, Abraham would have sacrificed his son. But in the most remarkable way, God delivers and God rescues him out of the situation. Things are brought to a terrible crisis, but, his, but the Lord's deliverance is sudden and complete. And Abraham's faith was not an easy faith, yes, but it was a trusting faith. He trusted in God's deliverance and provision, and he trusted that God would see him. Friends, don't you wish you had a faith like this? How much easier would life be if we were all actually a little bit like Abraham? Abraham but most often we're not. And so I want to ask you, where do you put your faith? When God tests you to the very edge of your limits, when you are hanging on for dear life by a single fingernail, where do you put your hope? When life feels like trial after trial and test after test, where does your faith lie? You see, it lies in our in our God, the one who provides, the one who sees us. And we know this to be true because we see the heart of our Father revealed to us. Dear Christian, when you are facing what you feel is an unsolvable test, when your situation conflicts with your own understanding, know that you are not giving up anything that our Father in heaven has not already given up for you. God has already gone forth and has done more for us than we could ever imagine. And that's why this story is not simply a moral lesson in having great faith. Although we can absolutely learn that from this narrative. But this story also points us to the very heart of our father. You see, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son as a way to display his love and his faith in God alone. And when he had proven his faithfulness, God intervened. On the mountain site that God had chosen specifically, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son. And God didn't ask him to go through with it. God instead provided a substitute ram for sacrificing in the place of Isaac. And from that moment, the sacrifice of an innocent lamb would be a way to receive forgiveness of sins. But thousands of years after this event, on that same very mountains that Abraham and Isaac climbed up to fulfill Abraham's task, we see Jesus, the innocent lamb of God, climbing up the mountain of Calvary to fulfill his task. Just as Isaac walked up the mountain, holding the logs that he would be sacrificed on, our Jesus, for the sake of our sins, walked up the mountain, carrying the very cross that he would be sacrificed on. And just as Isaac allowed himself to be bound to the altar without a word, without objection, so Christ allowed himself to be bound to the very cross without objection. Except there is one major difference. While God provided the ram as a substitute for Isaac, Isaac, the only beloved son of Abraham, there was to be no substitute for the only beloved son of God. Jesus went to the very end to die as a sacrificial lamb for the sake of sinners like you and me. See, for the Israelites who heard this story, the innocent lamb was a temporary substitute for their sin. For the original audience, the story of Abraham and Isaac pointed to when they were enslaved in Egypt, of how the Lord saved their firstborn sons by means of the Passover lamb. And still later, the Israelites, when they were in the promised land, they would offer burnt offerings at the tabernacle, at the altar, in order to temporarily pay the penalty of sin so that they could live. But for all of us, who have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. The Lamb of God is the permanent substitute for our sin. The righteous Son of God paid the price for our sake on the the, the cross of Calvary, but so too did the Father. As the incarnate beloved Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Eternal Father was silent. See, the Father's willingness to take His Son's obedience all the way to the agonies on the cross demonstrates the depth of His love for us so far beyond a doubt. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Because God loved the world, He gave His only beloved Son. The ultimate sacrifice was made for you and me, the price that Abraham did not need to pay, but the price that the father had to pay for us on Calvary because he so loved us. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of father that we have. Understand that this is the kind of love that our father has for us. He gave his only beloved son so that we may look to him and now we can say, Now I know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. And this is the kind of father that loves you and sees you in your tests and your trials of life. This is the kind of father that we can put our faith in. However, this story doesn't end there for Abraham. And the story doesn't end at the cross. And so too, it does not stop there for us either. In the closing verses of our passage, we see God renewing his covenant with Abraham. And this is the last time the Lord speaks to Abraham. And so this is a pivotal announcement for him. God restates the first covenant that he made with Abraham all the way at the beginning of his journey and declares to Abraham in verse 17 that because of his faithful obedience, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And if you're familiar with the old Testament, that offspring would be Isaac. It would be Jacob. And then it would be Joseph. But ultimately that offspring, that seed would be Jesus Christ himself. For though the father would give up his son as a sacrifice in three days, the son of God would rise again. You see, Christ is the perfect fulfillment of God's renewed covenant with Abraham. Christ was the offspring that would defeat the gate of the greatest enemy. Abraham faced his test and climbed up the mountain with the hope of future resurrection that God would resurrect Isaac again in some way. And we too now climb our mountains. We climb our tests and our trials with the hope that Christ Jesus has already resurrected. When God tests his faithful, he doesn't promise that it will be a smooth or even a short ride. Think about how long Abraham's journey was. His only promise is that he'll remain faithful and hold us in his embrace to the very end. That he alone will provide for our salvation and our redemption. Friends, do you find yourselves in any tests or trials that seem like too much to bear with no way out? Rest assured that our God sees you and he will provide In the fiery trials and the tests of your life, God sees you. In your grief and your loss, God sees you. In your loneliness and your rejection, God sees you. And we know this to be true because he loved us so much that he offered up his son and has already gone forth and has given up more than we could ever imagine. And it's because of this that we can declare with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8:31 to 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so as we look to our God, as we look to the God who graciously gives us all thing and has already given us everything may we rejoice in him who sees us and who provides for us let's pray